Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover, all for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 5,000 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 5,000. Enjoy. Here to set you free. How you doing? I'm Leslie Marshall. Happy Friday to you. Thank God it's Friday. Lots to do in the show today. Got a great guest joining us. Stick around. Find out who that is. Talk media news coming up at the end of the show. But right now, a little thing we like to call ripped from the headlines. U.S. stocks and Treasury yields sank today as the president said that American companies are, quote, hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China. The president's comments were an unexpected intensification of the rhetoric in the U.S. trade war with China, and they sent markets reeling just moments after comments from Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell had soothed investors' nerves and helped stocks recover from early declines. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 1.9% in trading this afternoon, while the S&P 500 had dropped 2%, and the NASDAQ Composite was off 2.3%. The president issued a series of threats to China on Twitter hours after China announced new tariffs on U.S. products and set markets slipping in early trading. China says it will impose new tariffs on $75 billion worth of U.S. goods and resume duties on American autos. The Chinese State Council said it was decided to slap tariffs ranging from 5% to 10% on 75 billion U.S. goods in two batches. That'll be effective starting September 1st around the corner and a couple of months later, mid-December on the 15th. And those states happen to be when President Donald Trump's latest tariffs on Chinese goods are said to take effect. It also said a 25% tariff will be imposed on U.S. cars, a 5% on auto parts and components. That goes into effect on the 15th of December as well. China had paused, if you remember, on these tariffs back in April. Quote, Trump said, our country has lost, stupidly, trillions of dollars with China over many years. They've stolen our intellectual property at a rate of hundreds of billions of dollars a year, and they want to continue. I won't let that happen. We don't need China, and frankly, we would be far better off without them. The vast amounts of money made and stolen by China from the United States year after year for decades will and must stop. Our great American companies are hereby ordered to immediately start looking for an alternative to China, including bringing your companies home, that would be a good idea, and making your products in the USA. Gee, what a novel concept. And I agree with the president on that part. It's unclear what, if anything, the president can do, though, to enforce his Twitter order to U.S. companies. Treasury yields extended their declines after the tweets. The 10-year Treasury yield fell six basis points to 1.54%. That's the lowest since 2016. The two-year yield declined seven basis points to 1.52%. In moments earlier, 
Powell, speaking during an annual gathering of central bankers in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, uh, soothed the markets. Quote, our challenge now is to do what monetary policy can do to sustain this expansion so that the benefits of the strongest jobs market extend to more of those still left behind and so that inflation is centered firmly around 2%. We will act as appropriate to sustain the expansion. Powell said central bankers have been carefully watching developments in the three weeks since our July FOMC meeting. That's what he said. And that includes the U.S. threat of new tariffs on Chinese goods. He also said the Fed has noticed signs of a global slowdown in China and Germany and is aware of the risks that may come with Brexit and, of course, also with the civil unrest in Hong Kong. President Trump also salvaged his uh, savaged his hand-picked Federal Reserve chairman, slamming Jerome Powell as an enemy who could pose a bigger risk to the U.S. than Chinese President Xi Jinping. As usual, he said, the Fed did nothing. It is incredible that they can speak without knowing or asking what I'm doing, which will be announced shortly. We have a very strong dollar and a very weak Fed. I will work brilliantly with both, and the U.S. will do great. And the president added, my only question is, who is our biggest enemy? Jay Powell or Chairman Xi? What? And that refers to the Chinese leader, and Trump even misspelled Powell's name in his initial tweet before correcting it. Not surprising. Coming from the president, the comment, or the misspelling. Let's rip another. David Koch, who built one of the Koch brothers, who built one of the nation's largest private businesses with his brother Charles and pumped money into conservative groups to help reshape American politics, has died. Charles Koch confirmed the news in a statement today that referenced David's long-running ailment. 27 years ago, David was diagnosed with advanced prostate cancer and given a grim prognosis of few years to live. David liked to say that a combination of brilliant doctors, state-of-the-art medications, and his own stubbornness kept the cancer at bay. We can all be grateful that it did because he was able to touch so many more lives as a result. That's what his brother Charles Koch wrote. No precise cause was given for David Koch's death. He was 79. He helped his brother Charles build Koch Industries into the corporation that it is today with brands such as Georgia Pacific Plywood. The company is one of the biggest ethanol producers in the country. Its Kadura cloth is used to make military uniforms and equipment. Ironically, David Koch was a big believer in climate change, folks. Uh, The two brothers also created the Koch Political Network, famous and infamous for its secret funding and fiercely negative advertising, often aimed at President Barack Obama and other Democrats. Their group, Americans for Prosperity, funded with the Koch brothers' money, as well as contributions from other rich donors they recruited. Although David denied giving money to Tea Party candidates in 2010, the efforts by him and his brother helped Republicans win a net gain of 63 seats in the House that year. The Koch network also had groups aimed at veterans, women, seniors, and Latinos, ostensibly non-political. The groups exploited a lack of transparency under U.S. law, weak enforcement by the IRS, and openings created by Supreme Court decisions. The system was part of what was called a stream of dark money by its critics, called so because it could be unclear who was bankrolling which causes. For as much energy as the Koch network expanded against Democrats since the turn of the 21st century, they did not support Donald Trump in 2016. Uh, that uh, had a break with some in the conservative donor world. Trump responded by slamming what he called the globalist Koch brothers and vowing to pursue the tariffs and immigration crackdown they opposed. The Koch network amassed as much clout as the Republican National Committee, or perhaps even more. And all the same, David Koch was not a uh, doc- indoctrinated Republican. In 1980, he was a libertarian nominee for vice president. And although the brothers network backed conservative lawmakers who opposed abortion access and gay rights, well... David Koch supported gay rights, abortion access, and like I said, he was a big believer in climate change. Let's take another. 
Facebook has banned the Epic Times, a conservative news outlet that spent more money on pro-Trump Facebook advertisements than any other group than the Trump campaign from any future advertising on the platform. Now, the decision follows an NBC News report that Epic Times had shifted its spending on Facebook in the last month, seemingly in an effort to, uh, to, to, to really connect, disconnect its connection to some two million worth of ads that promoted the president and conspiracy theories about his political enemies. Quote, over the past year, we've removed accounts associated with the Epic Times for violating our ad policies, including trying to get around our review systems. We acted on additional accounts today, and they no, are no longer able to advertise with us. That's from Facebook. And their decision came as the result of a review prompted by questions from NBC News. The spokesperson explained that ads must include disclaimers that accurately represent the name of the ad sponsors. Now, the Epic Times' new method of pushing the pro-Trump conspiracy ads on Facebook appeared under page names such as Honest Paper and Pure American Journalism, and they allowed the organization to hide its multi-million dollar spending on dark money ads, in effect by bypassing Facebook's political advertising transparency rules. Facebook's ban will affect only the Epic Times' ability to buy ads, the sock puppet pages created to host the new policy violating ads were still live at the time uh, of the uh, press uh, publicizing this information. Nicholas Furiosos, a reporter for the website OZ, tweeted about the move yesterday, first spotted last week by Lachlan Marque of the Daily Beast. A recent NBC News investigation revealed that Epic Times had invo- evolved from a nonprofit newspaper that carried a Chinese-American religious movement's anti-communism message into a conservative online news behemoth that embraced President Donald Trump and conspiracy content. The religious group quietly operates the paper believes in a coming judgment day that will send communists to hell, and they say Trump is helping accelerate that timeline. Since 2016, the Epic Times revenue more than doubled. The reach of its online content rocketed past that of any other news organization, attracting billions of views across its many platforms. It also became a player on the conservative media stage, securing interviews with Trump cabinet members, loyalists, and family members, as well as members of Congress and media stars, all Republicans. Until mid-July, the Epic Times placed its ad through accounts that clearly labeled their affiliation to the wider organization, and through the umbrella account, coverage of the Trump president Presidency by the Epic Times, the news organization spent $1.5 million on more than 11,000 Trump-friendly Facebook ads within the last year. Well, that's what's ripped from the headlines. Coming up, our great guest will be joining us. Keep in mind, you can join us as well. Pick up the phone and do so with your questions, opinions, comments, and concerns. 888-6LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Who's in the hot seat? Well, Richard Painter. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you should. More than 600,000 people do. I'm one of them. I love his tweets. He's host of the Politics Podcast with Richard Painter. We'll talk more with him. He's also a law professor at the University of Minnesota, and he's a former White House Chief Ethics Counsel in the Bush administration. He did that from 05 to 07. We'll tell you more about him, and you'll hear from him and me and you, hopefully, right after this. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6LESLIE. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at lesliemarshallshow.com. We 
are back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Good afternoon. Welcome, welcome back. Only True Democracy and Talk. And uh, just uh, good to have you with us. Really glad to have this next guest with us. He is Richard Painter. He hosts the Politics Podcast with Richard Painter. And each week he covers the latest political and White House whirlwinds in the news from his experiences inside and outside of the D.C. establishment. Look for it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. He's also a law professor at the University of Minnesota. He's a former White House chief ethics counsel under the Bush administration and was during uh, that time, 05 to 07. And once a Republican, he's now a centrist and an independent. I follow him on Twitter. You should as well. I love his tweets. Uh, and I and I'm very flattered and honored when he ever likes to retweet some of my stuff as well. Richard, thank you for being with us today. Or should I call you Mr. Painter? I have a lot of respect. Good afternoon. Well, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to speak with you this afternoon. And, and good to have uh, you with us. Do you prefer, prefer Richard or Mr. Painter? I'll go by Richard. That sounds good. That's my dad and my brother's name, so I like that. <laughs> um, let, let, let's uh, first talk about uh, Russia and, and the threat not just we know existed of Russian interference in 2016, but the threat of Russian interference in uh, 2020. We are so divided, and that's what Russia wanted in 2016. Does that division, Americans being at each other's throats, um, help because politically, socially, and culturally we're so divided uh, that Russia can play into that as they helped to create and did in 2016 and continue to do that even more so in 2020? Oh, absolutely, yes. The Russians have been doing this for a very long time. Going back to the Russian Revolution in 1917, uh, they have been trying to destabilize uh, Western democracies, Western Europe, the United States, democracies in other countries around the world, uh, they're very, very good at it. And for decades, they did this through the Communist Party and left-wing organizations. Uh, they had very little success in the United States causing any uh, serious disruption, but they did in other countries. Uh, and now they've discovered the far right wing of the political spectrum, and they've uh, really hit Pater in the United States. Uh, and they uh, were successful in 2016, and they're going to be doing it again in 2020. Uh, the message that we're sending is that we are more worked up about our own political differences than we are about defending ourselves from Russian interference at our elections. And uh, that's just an invitation for them to come in and do it again. Uh, and speaking of, I agree with you 100 percent. We're just playing into their hands, aren't we? I mean, if if I were Vladimir Putin, I'd be sitting back and saying, thank you for the gift, because America continues to play into their hands, especially not taking this seriously and being more focused on our infighting than people on the outside um, who can and we assume will try, uh, if they're not already, uh, to attack next year's uh, elections. Well, absolutely, yes. Uh, we... There are two things that we are doing that are advertising our vulnerability. First, we uh, are doing absolutely nothing to prevent the Russians from interfering in our elections again. Uh, uh, there's very little by way of effective cybersecurity in the United States. Uh, uh, the Russians are, I'm sure, and have been hacking uh, political candidates and political parties. Uh, for quite some time, uh, not only the Democrats, but the Republicans, because what they don't use against people in elections, they will use uh, against them for blackmail to get what they want. 
Uh, they've got the dirt, I'm sure, on leading members of the United States House and Senate, both political parties, uh, and uh, uh, perhaps into the dirt on the candidates already. Uh, we've got Rudy Giuliani apparently going over to uh, uh, the Ukraine to talk to pro-Putin leaders over there about trying to get the dirt on Joe Biden, assuming he's going to be the nominee. Uh, I'm sure they're getting dirt on other candidates as well. So uh, we're not taking election security seriously at all. Uh, and then the second thing is we are very much worked up in all these internal divisions, on, a lot of it on social issues more than economic issues, and so-called identity politics and the rest of it. And I always come around to my, my conclusion that the, the uh, Trump administration is probably the uh, – most dangerous purveyor of identity politics uh, in recent memory. I mean, the way they reach out to white supremacist groups and other uh, organizations that are focused entirely on the cultural identity of, of particular narrow subsets of individuals. It's a very uh, volatile and uh, dangerous situation, and it's uh, one that the Russians are going to take advantage of. What is your, Richard, biggest fear? Um, uh, th- that they are in danger of needling with us because we're already, you know, we have such turmoil. We're just fraught with turmoil here in the country. What would you say is your biggest fear um, and, and something most dangerous that Russians could do in, in 2020, maybe that they haven't already uh, done in 2016? Well, they're going to continue with their email hacking, and they're going to try and get damaging information on candidates and parties. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, they could expose some uh, so-called scandal or mini-scandal uh, right before the elections and try that stuff. Uh, they could also stir up and will stir up. They're already at it, try to get different groups of Americans angry at each other. Uh, and uh, it, it's, uh, that's easy to do sometimes. Uh, and I see some of that going on on Twitter where people are, um, you know, obsessing on the on the racial identity of candidates or attacking candidates based on on things that are are, are likely to cause division. We're going to take a break, Mr. Painter. We'll be back with Richard Painter right after this. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. Uh, we're going to continue to talk about Russia. We've got some other things to discuss as well. Uh, continue to join us. I had mentioned Twitter. Follow him at RWPUSA. The website is bit.ly forward slash painter pod. We'll be back. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. Leslie Marshall, welcome, welcome back. Only true democracy and talk. And speaking of talk, 
We're talking to the host of the Politics Podcast with Richard Painter, Mr. Richard Painter himself, law professor at the University of Michigan and former White House Chief Ethics Counsel under the Bush administration from 05 to 07. Uh, Richard, thank you for holding and, and welcome back. Uh, we know that espionage and trickery between the West and Russia is not new. I mean, it goes back to Peter the Great three centuries ago. Um, but you can't really look historically at any episode of direct political mischief making in that history. Uh, when you look at the breadth, scale and intensity of the Russian hacking, leaking and social media campaign in the 2016 election, um, when it comes to rivals and enemies, would you say that Moscow's main objection, or at least often, is to create chaos and um, and to incapacitate us to a certain degree. Well, yes, they want to create chaos in, in the United States and other Western democracies. Uh, they supported the Brexit movement in Russia. They supported far-right uh, organizations, everywhere from France uh, to Austria and Germany. Uh, and that's a lot easier for them, a lot cheaper uh, than trying to compete with the United States. Uh, in, in an arms race, uh, which uh, didn't work out very well for the Soviet Union. Uh, but destabilizing our country, destabilizing democracy, is something they're very good at. Uh, and it's very effective uh, if we're not on our guard and we aren't willing to make a priority uh, of protecting our own uh, representative democracy from foreign interference. What would you say their weapon of choice is to get there to achieve that goal? Well, they've got several. Uh, one is, of course, the computer hacking, uh, and they've been doing that for years. So we don't know what damaging information they have on members of Congress and various candidates, or whether it be the Democrats or whether it be Lindsey Graham on the Republican side. Uh, and as I say, this information can be used to defeat candidates also uh, for purposes of blackmail. Uh, the other thing they've been doing, uh, as we know from the uh, indictment handed down by Robert Mueller, uh, is uh, they've been getting involved in social uh, media, whether it's Facebook or uh, Twitter and, and the various other social media outlets, and impersonating Americans, uh, trying to um, uh, stir the pot, uh, get people angry at each other. Uh, on social media, and they want to stir up, for example, from the last election, the Bernie versus Hillary thing. Uh, Try to encourage as many people as possible to blame the loss of the 2016 election on Bernie Sanders, uh, and then encourage the Bernie people to hate the Hillary people. And so they took advantage of a lot of that. Uh, and so they're going to look for new divisions to exploit. Uh, if the uh, winning candidate is, is is not a woman, they're going to try and get women upset that it was not a woman. If it is a woman, they're going to go in there and say that a woman candidate was only chosen because she's a woman and, and, and that we don't like white men anymore. I mean, they're going to play this game uh, and stir the pot as much as they possibly can. Uh, they'll attack people based on their race, on their religious identity, uh, they're going to try to make uh, Democrats look hostile to uh, people of religious faith. Um, and so I've noticed uh, quite a few people going on the social media pretending to be American atheists or whatever and, and just attacking everybody's religion right and left. And I suspect about half of those are, aren't American at all. Uh, 
uh, they're, they're, they're Russians. Uh, there's a lot of this going on. Uh, absolutely, no question. Um, what, do you think that people in Washington are worried, and also on the heels of that, um, are we any better prepared now to defend ourselves than we were three years ago? Well, we certainly know about the problem we've been talking about a lot. And uh, we have the Mueller report, at least the unredacted portions of the Mueller report, that discuss the Russian interference. Uh, the question is whether we're willing to take it seriously. Uh, I don't think the Trump administration is going to do anything in terms of uh, election security and uh, cracking down on Russian interference in the election in 2020 because they believe that the Russians are favoring their side uh, versus the Democrats. Uh, so then the question is, what, uh, what, what are Democratic voters going to do? What's the rhetoric going to be in the Democratic Party? And, and I would strongly urge that independent uh, Democrats or those Republicans who have abandoned this uh, Trump-led uh, party, uh, you know, focus on the big-picture issues and not get wrapped up in divisive rhetoric. Uh, be very careful about divisive rhetoric, uh, because that just feeds the beast. Uh, that's exactly the type of thing the Russians are going to take advantage of. Uh, think in terms of the, you know, what are our broader social objectives? Uh, we have important uh, commitments in our country to civil rights, uh, to economic equality, economic growth, and protecting the environment. Uh, but let's not get wrapped up in the us versus them conversations. Do you think that the rhetoric, especially by somebody like uh, the, the president, I, I mean, he likes to stoke that raw political, societal and, and social uh, emotional uh, button of the American public. It's amplified by political commentators and everything that we see online and throughout the media. Um, so if it, a match is going to be thrown into this chaos uh, that they like to create and amplify uh, by Putin, uh, is it fair to say that what the president is doing is the kindling that Putin puts the match to? Well, of course. He's exactly what he's doing. He's preparing the kindling. He's throwing the gasoline on the fire. And he's tossing the match in as well. What he's not doing, the Russians are going to help him with. And then the question is, what, what those of the opposition uh, are going to do? And how do we respond uh, to that? And, uh, uh, you know, for example, uh, he's going to try and work up uh, uh, white voters, predominantly working class voters, in swing states, uh, middle class people uh, in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, number of states, to support him. Now, what he's hoping is that uh, liberal Democrats will go on social media and say that most white people in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Ohio are a bunch of racists. That's what he's hoping, because the minute that happens, the Russians will pump that all over social media, and uh, then you know voters will get wind of that, and uh, then actually support Trump. So it's going to be very important not to take the bait, and don't fall into this trap of generalizing about our fellow Americans based on their religion or their race or their geographic location. Uh, we're in this together. And we need to stand up to Donald Trump and his inflammatory rhetoric. And we certainly don't need more inflammatory rhetoric on the other side to counter it, because it actually does, and it makes it worse. When you look at anybody who is waging war, whether it be terrorists flying planes into buildings or Russians using social media, 
uh, to try and uh, persuade Americans to vote for or against a certain candidate. Do you think that they will use the same methods that they used in 2016? Are we going to see a, a, a lot of ad hoc actors uh, within and outside the Russian government and security services with similar targets as in 2016, more of the same? Or do you think they'll do you know something different, come up with a different angle uh, to do this? I'm sure this? they'll vary their playbook. They vary the playbook from from uh, uh, from year to year. They, they know that we're in a little different landscape than we were four years ago. The economy has improved so somewhat, uh, although not uh, for the typical working American. So they're going to try and take advantage of the uh, frustration with economic inequality and direct it not at Donald Trump, but at racial minorities and, and others, and of course at the Democrats. So uh, that's going to be going on. Uh, they're going to continue to stir up the debate over immigration. Uh, and uh, they're going to try to push the Democrats into an extreme position as they can. Um, the Trump people are certainly working on that uh, because the Trump people have gone to such an extreme in their direction. Uh, it's going to be very important, as I say, for American people and, and for their political leaders to stay well-grounded in fact, uh, not get wrapped up in the emotion, uh, but focus on what are our fundamental values as a country and how are we going to uh, advance those values uh, by electing uh, leaders who are really representative of the American people as a whole, uh, not people like uh, President Trump, who just serves his own interests and those of the foreign power. Um, a Russia expert, uh, formerly with Britain's MI6, said that if Putin's strategy is what's expected to do whatever will best polarize the United States, that he may choose to do nothing because, he says, I quote, Trump seems to be doing a pretty good job all by himself, depending on where you sit, so it might be easier to leave well alone. Agree or disagree? Well, I'd, I'd agree that Trump certainly, <laughs> he's making a mess of things. But he's, he's riding an economic boom and uh, uh, an expanding economy. And there's a tail end of the economic growth that we saw in the last uh, administration, the last term, the second term of President Obama. And that, that helps Trump a lot uh, because he's going to claim credit for everything, even, even though he didn't do anything to help the economy other than hand himself and his rich billionaire friends a, a great big tax cut. But he didn't do anything to help the economy. Now he's shaking it up, of course, with his um, uh, uh, trade war uh, with China, and that may destabilize the economy. Uh, we don't know what's going to happen for the next election. Uh, but, you know, Trump is, is definitely out of control. Uh, but the question is whether American voters are going to wake up to that. Um, if the economy is doing reasonably well in November 2020. Let's move on from Russia uh, to, to some other issues. There's a nonprofit group uh, that tallied 2,310 conflicts of interest stemming from President Trump's unprecedented decision to retain a stake in his business property since he took office in 2017. Now, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington uh, released that report that calculated the number of times the president visited his properties at taxpayers' expense, 362, the number of foreign government officials, 110, U.S. officials, 250, who have visited Trump properties, and the number of political events, 63, held at his properties. You know ethics. You worked for a president uh, covering uh, ethics. How unethical is this president with this report from Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics? He's the worst in history when it comes to conflicts of interest. And that report, I believe the one you're signing, was one prepared by Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. I was the vice chair of that group for 
uh, the first year and a half of the uh, Trump administration, and we looked at a lot of conflicts of interest in this administration. We even sued the president for his uh, violation of the monuments clause of the Constitution. Uh, this president is completely out of control, and he is just serving himself uh, and uh, trying to enrich himself at the public expense. In the past, every president before this one, before Trump, divested from his business interest before being sworn in because divestiture served as an assurance to the public that the president would not open himself up to undue influence from special interest in foreign governments that might use his businesses as a way to curry favor with him and his administration. Uh, Trump has obviously not followed this precedent. Did we know, in a sense, what we were in for because he did not uh, swear to divest from his business interest before he was sworn in? Well, I certainly knew before the election is the way it would end up that he would refuse to do anything whatsoever about the best. Uh, I have to say that this issue was not emphasized enough during the campaign. Uh, Hillary Clinton's people didn't make enough of a mistake about it. They should have. Uh, Hillary Clinton was unfortunately not willing to part company with the Clinton Foundation if she won the election. I repeatedly urge that she make that promise, even though there's absolutely no comparison between the Clinton Foundation and the a far more serious uh, a corruption uh, problem we have with the Trump organization, uh, which he should have done, was promised to completely sever some of the Clinton Foundation if she won the election and turned to him and said, you divest, you promise to divest now. Um, and they were not as aggressive as they should have been on it. Uh, and so we're in a, in a very difficult situation right now. Elizabeth Warren has advanced a bill in Congress that would prohibit the president, the vice president, members of the United States House and Senate from having financial conflicts of interest. Uh, it's a very good bill. Um, yeah, but unfortunately, the House of Representatives did not pick it up. And one of the reasons is that the uh, leaders of the House, including Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker, her husband has a very large portfolio loaded with lots of high-tech stocks and stuff that would have to be sold. So. Uh, Trump is not alone with conflicts of interest. There are a handful of senators and about a dozen, two dozen members of the House, including the Speaker, who, under a strict conflict of interest rule, such as the Warren rule, would have to divest. Uh, but we, we need to take this seriously, and I would strongly support Elizabeth Warren's efforts on this. And uh, if it means that the Speaker of the House representatives has to sell a couple of million dollars worth of stock, I don't think that's going to hurt her. Uh, but that's the direction we need to go in the country, and we need to say that to the president. We're never going to go through this again. This is the degree of conflict of interest from our highest elected officials. We have less than a minute left. I want to give you the last word here, Richard. What would you like to leave our listeners with today? We need to remember, first and foremost, that we're Americans. We're in this together. It's not us versus them. It's Protecting about protecting our own country from hard interference and having a president we can be proud of. And whether you agreed or disagreed with President Obama, he was a president we could be proud of. And I would say that about our other presidents as well, as we can strongly disagree on issues. But this is humiliating for the United States what we are going through, that Russia has such a predominant role in selecting a president who is acting such an immature manner and uh, offensive manner as Donald Trump uh, is humiliating our country. It's hurting our stature around the world. And ultimately, it's going to hurt our economy. Uh, we need to fix this problem.
problem now. We need to do it together. Thank you, Richard. Excellent. Richard Painter, host of the Politics Podcast with Richard Painter. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, Law professor at the University of Minnesota, former White House Chief Ethics Counsel under the Bush administration. Please follow him on Twitter at RWPUSA and go to the website for his podcast, bit.ly forward slash Painter Pod. I'm Leslie Marshall. Talk media news up next. Don't go away. If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back. Talk Media News is with us. I'm Leslie Marshall. And from Talk Media News, Michael Olesker. Michael, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon. Happy Friday. Money is in the air, but the Dow is down and the Chinese are opposing tariffs. Talk to us. Last I looked, it was about 600 points down the market, um, that partly in response to the Chinese imposing $75 billion in new tariffs on uh, U.S. goods. Uh, Donald Trump's response to this has been to, uh, <laughs> to ask who's the bigger enemy, his own Fed chair or the Chinese uh, leader, Xi. Um, but one of the biggest money stories... Is uh, is the death of uh, of David Koch today? For years, the Koch brothers, Charles and David, have been among the most powerful players in American politics. Without ever holding office on any level, uh, you know the name, of course. Uh, money's their game, and uh, David Koch died today at seventy nine. He and Charles took their combined worth of an estimated hundred billion dollars and poured it into various right wing causes. The money reshaped American politics. It helped give rise to the Tea Party. Uh, it gave a lot of money to charity as well, and by the way, helped them live uh, quite a lavish lifestyle. David Koch had palatial homes in New York and Aspen, Colorado, Palm Beach, Florida. He had a yacht in the Mediterranean that he would rent each summer for half a million dollars a week. Uh, and he had a and he had a passion for various libertarian causes on which he and his brother lavished their money. If you were Republican or libertarian, they made you happy. But there were critics who said they spread their money where it would do them them the most good. They fought against what they called government intrusions. Well, those intrusions that they hated included such things as taxes compulsory education, business regulations, welfare programs, military drafts, and drug use. They were in favor of individual choice, and government should stay out of it in their eyes. But they also fought government regulations on such things as environmental regulations. They had big money invested in the fossil fuel industry. They funded all kinds of initiatives to undercut climate science and efforts to address climate change. By the way, they weren't too crazy about Donald Trump. Uh, They had their fights with him, but along the way, it's estimated that they spent at least $100 million, maybe more, to back conservative candidates and think tanks and, and policies. So uh, a, big, um, a big impact on, on politics. Absolutely. A- absolutely. Michael, very well done. Thank you for joining us. Michael Olesker from Talk Media News. I'm Leslie Marshall sitting in for our executive producer, Marky Mark Grimaldi, today has been Steve Trippi. I'm your host, Leslie Marshall. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back with you next week. I hope you enjoy some of the cooler temps that we're seeing throughout the nation. 
How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love.